This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, announcements in the back is the calendar. Take one on the way out. January 10th. Uh, Rabbi Hanoch Teller. Oh, that's nice. Mirza um, Hashem, January 10th, Hanoch Teller, next week at 8 p.m. January 15th is, is Matzah Shabbos, is Sababa. We're going back into Matzah Shabbosim. And uh, on January 17th, why me? Why is life so difficult by Rabbi Ben-Sion Schaefer? So we have a lot of guest speakers coming in the month of, of January. If you'd like to know who they are, please come to um, Arnava. And when on your way out, take your calendars. I still don't have a Kololoshan phone. No, you're working on it. Okay. Um, before Nechama comes up, I just want to uh, welcome all the people that are watching tonight live. Um, I believe that Detroit is on and um, Lakewood. I know that Montreal is definitely on. I'd like to thank all the girls in Montreal. There's a whole bus coming to the Shabbaton. 48 girls traveling eight hours. Um, it was supposed to snow, so they're going to leave a little earlier, but I looked at the forecast and Baruch Hashem, Hashem got rid of the snow, so it's not going to snow. Um, and we can't wait to see them. They're amazing. And I also want to say to the Montreal ninth graders that I'm sorry that we didn't accept ninth graders on the Shabbaton. But Mitzvah Hashem, we will make it up to all of you. And um, St. Louis is on tonight and California. Um, so we want to say hello to everyone in California who will actually see this tomorrow night because in California right now it's only 6 o'clock. So, and of course, a big thanks to all the girls that are actually in the room that actually traveled to be here for tonight's year. Um, I also want to apologize. We, we closed registration to the Shabbaton um, pretty much last night. And, and people really, I, you know, I asked for the last, couple of, the last couple of weeks to please register early, and girls didn't take that seriously. And now their parents are calling me, and their uncles are calling me, and rabbis are calling me that I know. And uh, they're, they're calling Avivid, and they're crying on the phone. But it's not fair to us because we really opened it up, you know, many weeks ago and we really asked everyone to register. Um, the biggest Shabbaton we've ever had up to this date was about 720 people. Bali, Ayanhara, we closed our registration at 900. So we're, we're done. We're, we're, we're full and we wished everyone would have registered a little bit earlier. Um, Hashem, whoever didn't register, Hashem, Mashiach will be here. You won't have to register next year. You'll just come to the base of Migdash. You don't get to register to go to the base of Migdash. Anyway, but we do want to thank all the girls. There are girls coming from Detroit and from Baltimore, from Montreal and from New York and from all over the place. And we really want to thank everyone for um, for registering. And Mitzvah Hashem, we hope that uh, we'll be able to handle this. I have no idea how, but uh, Hashem will help, and we'll have a good Shabbaton. Mitzvah Hashem. All right. Um, without further ado, she's still working on it. Um, we're going to ask Nechama to come up. Who is actually going to be opening the Shabbaton with her poem, Emir Hashem Friday night, with a different poem, but she, she had enough time to write two poems, so the floor is yours. This is on, okay. Thanks to Rabbi Wallerstein and you, I've been launched as a published poet in the Jewish press and also in the Bay News. Thanks to you. Thanks to you. I can't rhyme. Never mind. Thanks to you. And um, 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 this poem was written two weeks ago for the Bay News. It's called Despair Not Man. Despair not, earthbound creature, for though you be heavy laden to this time-bound turf, surely your soul will fly toward heaven. Despair not, earthbound creature, for though your hands be manacled to this terrestrial cage, your spirit must of itself run toward the sea. Despair not, earthbound creature, for though your feelings may be stilled by man's cruelty, your heart will tomorrow soar to God's eternal love. 
Thank you. You're getting better and better. You really are. You have the motions. You're like, whoa, beautiful. Baruch Hashem. Okay. Are we good? Thank you. All right. Fear not, Nechama. Fear not. Try not to. Okay. We good? Technology. By the way, for anyone who's still on Facebook, being that I have some time to speak, today. No, I'll take. I'll take the phone. I'll take the phone. We're on. Yeah. <laughs> so today, in, in um, someone called me from Eretz Yisrael and told me that on the headlines of Eretz Yisrael news today was that a 16-year-old Jewish kid um, committed suicide because of um, on Facebook he was being bullied, and they know in Eretz Yisrael this is not something that you know in America they talk about it. Uh, what is it called? Um, cyber bullying. And um, they never had this in Eretz Yisrael. So today in the headlines of Eretz Yisrael was about a 16-year-old Jewish boy who killed himself because guys on Facebook or girls on Facebook were cyber bullying him. So all those that still think like, you know, nah, there's nothing wrong with it. And then the second piece of headline news in Eretz Yisrael was about a 12-year-old girl who, I don't want to use the word, was attacked by a man. And the whole meeting that happened between the two of them was arranged through Facebook. So he was arrested today in Eretz Yisrael, and the whole Eretz Yisrael is talking about it. Mm-hmm. So for all those who are still on Facebook, hey, wake up. I deleted my last week. You deleted yours last week. <laughs> Baruch Hashem. Just in time. Okay. Just in time. All right. Now this side, young ladies in the front row, you're supposed to say, what's Facebook? <laughs> Uh-oh. You're not supposed to know what I'm talking about. Okay. So, this week's parsha begins the following. It's parsha's bow. Bow equals three. Base aleph equals three. Base is two. Aleph is one. Is three. There are three makos, three plagues in parsha's bow. Arba, which is locust. Choshech, which is, which is darkness. And makos bechoros, which was the striking of the, at midnight of the um, firstborn. The first pasuk in bow. There's a pasuk that I've had, I've had many questions on, and I think all of us who learn this have a little bit difficulty with this pasuk. And I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to explain it, and I hope to be able tonight to talk about another subject, which is um, Kriyashma Lamita, and also, if we have time, to talk about Hakar Satov. But let's start with this pasuk. Hashem said to Moshe, Bo el paro, come to paro. Why should you go to paro? Because I made his heart, his heart hard. And the, his servants, their hearts, the other Egyptians, I made their hearts hard. In order that I can put these signs, that I could do more makos. Hashem said, I want to do more makos. Seven's not enough. I want to give them another three. Of course, the final one was makos bacharos. And I hardened his heart so that I could do this. Now, in Israel, they would say, lo fear. <laughs> it's not fear. Why are you doing this, Hashem? Are you allowed to do this? Are you allowed to make someone's heart hard so that he loses his Bechira? He loses his choice? The first passage here tells us that maybe Paro would have let him go. Maybe after getting smacked around seven times, Paro would have said, you know, get out of here. But no, Hashem went ahead, and Hashem hardened his heart so that he had no choice. That's not fear. Why did Hashem give him a choice that he should let the Jews go? So the Pasuk tells us, in order that Hashem should show, should be able to do more miracles. It doesn't sound right. In order that, that so it's like Hashem's using him as a puppet. Hashem's using him, so Hashem's making him not human and not, and not giving him a choice. So what, what does that mean? So there is a, there is a Rambam in Hilchas Tshuva that gives us a little bit of an insight. And then I'll read you a story which I've said before, but uh, every time I say it, it gets scarier. And he says the following. Sometimes, the Efshar, it could be 
that a person could do such a big sin. Or continuously doing the same sin. So they bring this in front of Hashem. This is very, very scary. And they should, he should get punished. Hashem doesn't give him rishus, permission to do tshuva. Because he hurt so many other people, we're not just going to let him do tshuva and get away with it, so that he should die still with the sin in his hands. Now, one of his rias to this is Paro. He says, we see from Paro that, listen, I'm going to read it from inside. The Torah says, I will make the heart of Paro hard. Because in the beginning, he sinned on his own. And he hurt the Jews that were in his nation. How do we know? Because it says, He got together with his advisors, and he said, let's come up with a scheme to make the Jews miserable. Hashem said, I'm not going to let him get away with this. I'm not going to let him become nice. I'm going to make sure that he pays for this. Therefore, he made his heart hard. Ask the Rambam a beautiful question. So if that's the case, why did he send Moshe? Why did he send Moshe to, 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 to speak to Paro if he knew that, if he knew that Paro wasn't going to listen? So why would HaKadosh Baruch Hu send Moshe to do something that's not going to be successful? Hashem hardened his heart. Why is he sending Moshe now to go take my, take my nation out? You, he can't let you take your nation out. So the question is a beautiful question. The Ramam's asking, this whole thing doesn't make sense. This whole story of the ten makos, every makah, Moshe Rabbeinu said, if you let the Jews out, you won't have another makah. But Hashem knew that he couldn't let the Jews out because Hashem made his heart hard. So Hashem's making a joke out of Moshe Rabbeinu? Make a, what? You're sending someone on a mission impossible? So... so, so what are you doing? Moshe Rabbeinu is going and asking him to let the Jews out. I'll take away the Makkah. And Hashem's not letting him let the Jews out. So why is he, so the Ramam's asking, why did he send Moshe Rabbeinu? So the Ramam answers to teach us all the lesson. The Ramam answers, I want you to see it. The Torah wanted us to see, Hashem wanted us to see that there are times, there are times that you can get smacked over the head. Your mamash could do an Avera and get punished right away, and you don't have the strength to do tshuva. And you see you're doing wrong, and you know you're doing wrong, and you still do the wrong. There's a girl that I spoke to today, she's doing drugs, and I said, okay, you know, you're, you're, she's 15 and a half years old, and she likes to have fun, so she's doing drugs, and she says to me, I want you to know, Red Walston, that, that when I buy them, I like, ugh, I hate buying them. And when I have them, I, ugh, I hate having them. And when I take them, Ugh, I hate taking them. So I'm like, so then why are you doing all that? Why are you buying them, owning them, and taking them if you hate it? And she says, I, I, I just can't stop. But you think I'm happy? You think I'm smiling when I go to the drug dealer and I buy the drugs? You think I'm like, oh, I got my drugs? She says, just the opposite. I'm like, ugh, I can't believe I'm doing this again. I can't believe I'm buying drugs again. I can't believe I'm doing drugs again. She says, it's disgusting, and I hate it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, if it's disgusting, I hate it. If I don't like chocolate pudding, I'm not buying chocolate pudding. I'm to like chocolate pudding. <laughs> so that's what this year tonight is based on. An addiction to an Avera. So what the Rambam is saying over here is as follows. When Paro decided... Yes, it was, it was destined that the Jewish nation should be in Mitzrayim and be slaves. But nowhere in the Torah did it say that Hashem came to Avram Avinu and said, your children, your male great-great-grandchildren will be thrown into the Nile River to die. That wasn't in the Brisbane Absarim. In the Brisbane Absarim, when Hashem told Avram Avinu, your children are going to go down to Mitzrayim, they're going to become slaves. It didn't say that they're going to be thrown into the water and drowned as infants. It didn't say that, that Paro was going to slaughter Jewish children and bathe in a bathtub full of their blood to get rid of his leprosy. It didn't say that. It didn't say that when Jewish fathers 
weren't able to fill, to make the bricks to fill up a wall that Paro would take their children and use them as bricks in the wall. Havan Ischatmalo, Paro got together with his three advisors and he said, let's come up with an idea on how to kill the Jews. It said nowhere in the Brisbane Absarim that Jews were supposed to be killed in Mitzrayim. It said that we were supposed to be avadim. So that evil, that first evil, was Paro's evil. That wasn't something Hashem told him to do or hardened his heart to do. We were supposed to be servants. But the killing of the children and bathing in the blood and putting little babies in the walls instead of bricks, that was his mean, vicious idea on how to kill Jews. Hashem said that you're never going to be forgiven for. So even though I'm going to hit you and I'm going to hit you and I'm going to hit you and you're going to want to get out of this, no, you're going to pay the price for killing my children. You threw them into the water. You killed my children. Your whole male nation, males only, because that's who they killed. Your whole male nation is going to end up being wiped out. Adechad, until Paro, Paro was the only one left alive. In the Yamsuf. Mida, Keneged, Mida. You're all going to end up chasing Klaisel. You're all going to get up in the Yamsuf. So therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, That's right. That's right. After he did that, he made those choices over and over and over and over again. Now he lost his choice. And that's the same thing in any addiction. Any addiction that you start, whether it's a cell phone that you're on all the time, or it's drinking, or it's drugs, all the other addictions that people are involved in, their first time that they start their addiction, it was by choice. They started drinking by choice. They started doing drugs by choice. They went online by choice. Listen, there's addiction to, there's addiction to the internet where people sit for mamish eight hours and, 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 and all night and they just can't get off the internet. And their parents have to come into the room and pull the plug out. It's mamish an addiction where you sit there and you do nothing for eight hours. I met a guy last night for Shaduch and he came to talk to me after my boy share. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 26 years old. I said, what do you do for a living? I'm looking for a shidduch. I said, what do you do for a living? He said, nothing. I said, well, that's not going to work. Well, what do you do every day? You learn? He goes, no. I said, what do you do all day? 26, nice-looking guy. You know, intelligent guy. Said, what do you do all day? He says, I'm ashamed to tell you. I'm like, are you sleeping all day? He says, no. I said, what do you do all day? He says, I'm on my computer. I said, so you're making money online? He says, no. So, so you're in the chat rooms? He says, no. So, so what do you do? He says, I play games. He said, you're, 20, you're, 26 year, you're 26 years old and you play games the whole day? So he said, I happen to know another, another guy like this. So I said, I know what kind of games you're playing. You're playing war games. And you're online it's, it's live. They, it's not playing against the computer. There are hundreds and thousands of people, or maybe tens of thousands of people across the world that are in that game, and they're all shooting at each other. I said, I said, how many, how many, how many hours a day are you playing this game? And he said, 16 hours. And you know what else? He brings the food in for the day into his room, because once he starts, he cannot even get up to leave because he might miss something. So that's an addiction. He doesn't sleep much. He doesn't sleep much. So that's an addiction. But he's not the only one addicted. There are thousands of people across the world in different time zones, and they're all in that game. And I know another guy who's 23 years old who has no life whatsoever. He's, he lives alone in a room in an apartment, and all, he did long, all day long, all he does is he sits fixed to the computer and he plays war games. So I said to him, I said, listen, you're 26 years old. You know it's not real. You get killed like 100 times and you get back up. I said, if you're into war, go to Nachal Haredi in Eretz Yisrael, put on an Israeli uniform, and go into real war and defend Klai Yisrael. No, that is chicken. That he's not willing to do. How did that start? It starts 
by continuously, and this is what the Ramam is telling us, it starts by continuously doing something over and over and over and over until you actually lose your choice. You can't break that choice. You know how many people have told me, hey, Walston, I got off Facebook, and then two months later I asked them, knew you're back, aren't you? And they're like, yeah. So they were brave enough to break it and they walked away, but it's an addiction. It's part of their life. It's part of, it doesn't have to be Facebook, internet, whatever it is, it's part of their life. So for a while they stayed off, but they went right back. They lost their choice. They lost their key because they continuously did the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And that's what the Rambam says. The Rambam says that when you do an Avera over and over, the same sin over and over, you lose your choice. You want to do the right thing. This girl doesn't want to take drugs. She hates buying the drugs. It's not like she likes it. She's not excited. It's not like she bought a good stock or a good, good dress or something nice. She knows she's doing wrong and it bothers her and she can't, she, I, I, she can't, I, I felt so bad for her today. She can't stop. She's like, you gotta help me, Rabbi. I, I, I hate it. I hate taking it. I hate everything about it. I hate the way I feel. I'm like, so why are you doing it? Why are you doing something you hate? And the answer is, can't stop. I can't stop. And this is what happened to Paro. Paro killed Jews, killed Jews, killed Jews, killed Jews. Now you want to stop? So Hashem said, now you want to stop? First of all, he really couldn't stop. Because even after Marcus Bechoros, right, look what happened. Hitaka got off Facebook. He did get off Facebook for a couple of minutes, Paro. He threw the Jews out by Marcus Bechoros. He threw them out of Mitzrayim. Get out! Don't come back! I never want to see you again! He was in the street, right? Paro in pajamas. You know that song, right? In the middle of the night. My grandson loves that song. Paro in pajamas in the middle of the night, right? So he's in pajamas in the middle of the night. He ran out of his castle and he's screaming to Moshe Rabbeinu, get out! Right? What happened after Klaistro left? The next morning he gets up and he takes his, his, his chariot and he puts the horses, he does, he puts the horses, he does it himself and he's like, okay, let's run after them. One second, last night you told him to get out. You don't want to ever see them again. You realize you just got finished 10 markets. You lost your firstborn. Every firstborn in Mitzrayim died. Everybody is dying. You're losing your nation. Finally, you got these Jews out of here. No more locusts, no more lice, no more frogs, no more blood, no more darkness. They're gone. They should have made a huge Egyptian party. The Jews are gone. One day later, he's, I, I got to go after them. Hello? You just threw them out. And the answer is, he's addicted. He's addicted. He continuously hurt the Jews. So even after he realized it's not good for us, they just beat us on our own turf in Mitzrayim. What do you think you're going to be able to do to them in the desert? could not control himself. It's like Lashon Hara. You talk Lashon Hara all the time, you talk Lashon Hara all the time, then even when you don't want to talk Lashon Hara, because it's someone you really care about, you can't stop it. So the question is, it sounds very scary. Everyone what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So I'm really sorry, you know? I talked to boys, I talked to boys, I talked to boys, and now I want to stop. And you know, part of, part of the, part of the kapara, part of the, the getting forgiven and part of the tshuva is the struggle after you stop to be able to be completely stopped and not go back into it. That struggle, in other words, anything that a person does wrong, you miss it when you stop it. So that missing it is part of fixing, is part of the kapara. It's part of the tikkun. Of, of, because you did that avera, part of the suffering is not being able to do that Avera anymore that you enjoyed. So uh, someone who drinks, so part of him fixing himself is talking the pain that he can't drink. If a girl talks to boys, right, and, and then and she stops, part of fixing, part of the tikkun, part of the pain of the tikkun, of the tshuva, is that since I used to talk to boys, and I like to talk to boys, and now I can't talk to boys, so now, Rabbi Wallstein, I miss it so much, it's making me crazy. That's right. That's right. That means you really did tshuva. That missing it, and that pain that you have by missing it, which you really created yourself, that's your tshuva. So when you step out of the, you step out, and you do an Avera, and then you say, I don't know, I don't understand, I feel, I, I'm, in, I'm in so much pain, I'm at, it's withdrawal. That's right. That is the tshuva. That is the tshuva. When you, when you do something wrong that you never did before, that the rest of your life, that you missed that, that you missed what you did, that's part of the tshuva. And if you don't miss it, then you're not really doing tshuva. The final tshuva is when you 
hate what you did. You see, I have that problem. There's one thing, there's something that I used to do, and I still talk to my friends about it. And I remember the good times that we used to do it, and I know that I didn't do a full tshuva. I don't, I don't feel rotten about it. When you finally feel rotten about it, in other words, when you talk to your friends, you know, oh, you know, I gave up Facebook, but you know, it, w- it was fun. It was fun when I was on it. As long as you're saying it was fun when you, when you were on it, you, your tshuva is not complete yet. Your, com- your tshuva comes complete. No, you have charata. You have charata. I used to gamble, right? I used to be a big gambler. So when I stopped gambling, so I missed it. Of course I missed it. Could make $100,000 in 20 minutes. And now I got to work a whole year and, 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 and customers screaming at me and I have to beg to get money and companies going bankrupt. Leave me alone. Just go down, play some cards, make my hundreds. What do I need this for? Right? It's always always in your head. But I stopped 15 years ago. But there were some crazy nights that I made crazy money, crazy stories. I'm a pretty famous guy. <laughs> called the Jewish gentleman. The only guy that sat by a table, and they used to give me Nestle's Crunch. Everyone was drinking beer and whiskey and smoking. Or I was a clean kid. Nestle's Crunch. The only Michigan in the whole casino, Nestle eats Nestle's Crunch at a table. And I, in my head... Made it, made it good because anytime we do something wrong, we make it good. Facebook, I'm contacting my uh, Bali Chuva friends from camp. I can't pick up a phone. So we always make it good. We're not bad people. We make everything good. So what I do wrong, it says you're not allowed to gamble. The Gemara says two reasons a person is not allowed to gamble. One, you're stealing. When you gamble with another Jew and he loses, right? He, he does, if you tell a guy before he comes to play, you are definitely going to lose. I'm going to sit all night with the same cards, right? In poker, four of a kind that can't lose, right? And I'm going to sit there all night, and you're going to keep losing. The guy's not going to come play. He thinks he can win. So therefore, the Gemara says that if someone comes and thinks he can win, and he loses, you stole from him. So it's Mamish Gineva. And if it's Gineva, it's a big Avera. So you're not allowed to play. You're not allowed to gamble. And the other reason the Gemara says you're not allowed to gamble, because Shalom. Why? Because if everyone in the world would gamble... So then everyone would make money from each other. I take money from you. You take money from her. She takes money from her. And they take money from them. But none of us would work. We'd all play cards all day and play dice all day. There'd be no farmers, no shoemakers, no dressmakers. And the world would be destroyed. The world would be destroyed if everyone gambled. So the Gemara says, because if people are going to gamble, there's not going to be any world. So therefore you can't gamble. So, hey, I had, I had it all answered. Number one, I have a business. I have people working for me. So my gambling is not a business. I don't do it for a living. It's just, a, it's just for fun. So I have people working for me, and they're making money and plastic bags and all that stuff. So for that reason, I don't, I don't gamble for a living. Therefore, it has no problem with the first reason in the Gemara. That's not my problem at all, because I'm not doing this for a living. It's a hobby. I'm having a good time. The second reason that you're stealing from a Jew, I never played Hanukkah. I never played with my friends on Hanukkah. Chas Shalom, that's stealing. I only went to casinos. <laughs> casinos belong to Goyim belong to New Jersey, to Las Vegas. So they're saying, come and play us. That's how they build those huge buildings and have 2,000 people working because everybody ends up losing. So, they were, so they're like Goyim, and they're saying, come play us. So I'm not stealing from any Jews. So Red Wallstein felt at that time I wasn't doing anything wrong. Not only that, but I made sure that when I sat by the table, I always tipped the dealer very nicely. So it would be a Kiddush Hashem. <laughs> to make a Kiddush Hashem. Everyone else is sitting there screaming. I'm sitting there making a bracha, on my chocolate, right? And I'm tipping the dealers, and everyone's saying, look at this Jew. You know, Jews aren't cheap. You know, I mamish went down to change the way Goyim look at us. I was l'shem shemayim. The shul in the shul, the shul in Atlantic City, if you go to the shul in Atlantic City, because of course you don't miss a minion, right? Even though, even though there's a bigger minion in the casino, because there's not one person in the casino that's not praying, everyone's praying hey God if you give me this I'll do this you do that right everyone's making deals with Hashem there's no atheist in a casino no such thing everyone believes God when they walk into a casino God help me help me help me right everyone's praying you walk by it's like praying Jews everyone's praying different prayers whatever it is we even wanted to make a minion once there okay whatever anyway so there's a shul called Congregation Road of Shalom in, in Atlantic City so I went the first time to the shul I walked in they didn't have a set of Gemaras they didn't have a set of Mishnah Brewers. They didn't have a set of Mishnayas. I said, what are you talking about? The next time I came down, I went to Eichler's, I bought Gemara's, 
Mishnah Brura's. Isn't that great? In Sadaim, I brought Swarim, you know, down to Sadaim. And if you're going to Shula, you should never go there. Donate it. Zechariah Wallace. I'm so proud of myself. I'm Mamash Tzadik. I thought. Until I learned the Kavayosha and found out that I was very, very wrong. And that the money somebody makes on gambling goes to the dark side. Belongs to the Satan. That God doesn't give money to gambling. And God doesn't give money to people who work on Shabbos. How come people who work on Shabbos make money? Where does that money come from? How do they make a panasa? Where does that keep come from? I'm working on Shabbos. Hashem can't give them the money. How do drug dealers have billions and billions of dollars? Hashem doesn't give drug dealers money. So the Kabbalah Yosha says that the money, that when Hashem created the world, Hashem created the power of the dark side and the power of the good side equal. And the Sultan came to Hashem and said, Hashem, what about money? You have all the money in the world and you're going to reward the good. You've got to give me money to be able to reward the bad. So the Kaviyasha says, Hashem gave the Satan as much money as Hashem has, that's how much money the Satan has. So all the gambling money, drug money, Michal Shabbos money, and people who cheat, and people who sketch, and all that money, that doesn't come from Hashem. That comes from the Satan. And when you die, the Satan takes your soul and says, you're my partner. I'm the one who supported you your whole life. I own you. And he puts you in the Tehoyim, the seventh level of Gehenna. No Kaddish, no 11 months. You're stuck. You're done forever. And not only that, Skiria, Kaviyasha says that the money that you get from the Satan, when you won that money and you, and you paid your kids yeshiva, all the Torah that your kids learn go to the dark side. And every mitzvah that, that your money goes, all that money, all that stolen money, and all that money you work on Shabbos, and all that money that you gambled, all that, the money that you made, every penny of that belongs to the Satan. So if you built the yeshiva and the kailal and they're all learning Torah, all that Torah never gets to the light. That's what supports the dark side. The dark side gets no unique, it gets no power from the dark side is dead. Their power comes from our Kedusha, from our holiness. So I said to myself, what am I doing? If I go to the casino and lose money, I'm an idiot. If I go to the casino and I make money, I'm a partner with the Satan, not interested. So from the day I opened that Sefer, and I saw that Kaviyosha, which Hashem sent me as a miracle, I davened in a shul that I had never davened before, and I just pulled out the Sefer, and I didn't know what a Kaviyosha was, and I just opened it up, and that's where it opened up to. And that next week, I was flying to Vegas. The next week, I was going to Vegas. And I opened that up, and I, that was it, over, there was no discussion. I stopped dead. I'm a study. In Vegas, I'm a study, because of how I used to play. Nobody ever, on the level of my playing, stopped gambling. Only ones that stopped gambling were either they committed suicide or they lost everything in the world. Otherwise, there was no such thing. So they called me up and they said, come on, where are you playing? Where are you going? You're flying outside the United States. What's going on? Where are you going? I said, no, I stopped. They said, it's impossible. Are you in, are you in GA? I'm like, no, I'm not in GA. Gambling Anonymous, no. <laughs> so why did you stop? I said, God. They said, come on. What does he have to do with it? That's how I stopped. Now, did I do tshuva? 15 years. 15 years. I haven't stepped foot in any of these places. Not, not only in the, play, in the casino, but even in the city. I will not stop in Vegas to get to California. So am I done? Am I over? Did I do my tshuva? Yes. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know why? When I get together with my friends, we had some crazy nights, crazy stories. When we talk about it, I'm like, whoa. I'm like, wow. Crazy, million dollar, crazy stuff. Chinese people, crazy stories. I've got crazy stories. I mean, between Lake Tahoe and all these places that I went, crazy stuff. So when we get together, we're like, oh, man, you're still not going anywhere? I'm like, nope. And they're like, but you remember? And, I, and I'm smiling. You didn't do chuva yet. <laughs> the real tshuva is when they mention it and I say, ugh, what an idiot how much time I wasted I could have been giving shiurim I could have been learning Fah! don't you dare talk to me about that then you did tshuva as long as it's still a good memory and it's fun and it's funny it's no good but that's what happens when you lose your key when you continually do the same thing over and over even though you're making it right it becomes part of you and it's tough it's tough because you've tasted sitting for 10 minutes and walking out with $120,000 in your hand. 
There's nothing in the world that you can do in 10 minutes. You got to work for a few years or a year and work and break your head 40 hours a week to make $400. And this took $400 was a tip. Took two seconds. So that becomes part of you once you do that. And it's a continuous struggle. Continuous struggle. And it's hard to beat. And the minute you think you beat it, and you think you can go back into casino and not play, you're done. You think you can go onto Facebook, you can go back and not go to the wrong places, it doesn't work that way. Says the Rambam, that if you do something over and over and over, you lose the kayak to walk out of it. And even when you walk out of it, it's something that's on your shoulder for a long, long, long time. So don't go there in the first place. Don't think I could start this behavior and walk out because you can't. The Yitzhahara is not interested in one Avera. He knows when he brings us into a sin, he's going to get us to bring us back and back and back and back. And then all of a sudden we're 26 years old and we're 18 hours sitting in front of a screen shooting not real people. And you're laughing. Nebuch! He's sick. I should get him a shidduch? I was thinking, I didn't want to make a joke in front of him. I was thinking, you know what? I'll get him a shidduch, a nurse that goes on the battlefield that he's on on the screen. <laughs> and she's taking off all the injured, injured soldiers. That would be a good shidduch. She's on 18 hours also. She's on the screen, you know. But I think maybe there, are, there is such a thing. He's going to meet some guy. I don't, I don't want to start. You know, who knows? It's crazy. Kids sit there for 10 hours, 15 hours in camp. Camps are over. Boys camps are over. I used to dream about going to camp and playing ball and leagues. It was so much fun. And girls camps, they had so much fun. Today, they're not interested. My cell phone and my games and my electronic games and my mother sent the electronic game. And they're sitting there. When it rained, we went out to play ball. When it's sunny, every kid's sitting there. I know when he's going to play. I'm playing on my whatever. On my wee-wee, whatever. Wee, chi, whatever it is. <laughs> playing all these Michigan games. Playing golf, yeah, it was one of the biggest sellers this, 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 uh, this um, what's it called, holiday season. But we got very big. You can ski in your house. You can ski in your house. You're standing and you're skiing in your house. Meshuggah, it's 75 degrees in your house. What are you doing? There's no snow. Baseball. Kids are standing with little plastic things looking at a screen. Losers. So you're all laughing. It's an electronic world. And, and, and we're getting so used to it that we can't, we can't walk out of it. Hechbarati is slave paro. I hate to tell you, Hechbarati is all our hearts. Our hearts are hardened. We can't, we can't even get out of it. I get, the biggest argument I get all the time is that I talk, I talk against Facebook. You'd think that I'm talking against the Torah. I wonder if I would get such an argument if I talked against the Torah. The biggest argument I get from kids wherever I go, or adults, is Rabbi Wallstein, you're too hard on it. it. It really does good stuff. What does it bother you so much that I'm against it? All the other things I'm against, nobody complains about. When I talk about sneeze, nobody ever gets up and complains about it. Okay. Doesn't bother me. You can talk about it. Whether I'm going to keep it or not, doesn't matter. Facebook, Kedush Kedoshim. Don't talk about my Facebook. I talk to all my friends from seminary. Hasa Shalom. It's mamash becoming hechmarati as leiv paro. So I want to tell you a story, which I've said many times. Very, very, very scary story. It, it, it really bothered you know. I talked to you about the things that happened in my week. Last night, this guy came to me. It was like it's, it's killing me. He's a good-looking, good-looking, twenty-six-year-old intelligent boy. He's he's wasted. His life is wasted. He's done. He's just a cardboard box with like electronics in his head. No children, no wife, no job, no, no learning, no tefillin, no minion. You can't go to minion if you're 18 hours on your computer. He's dead. The sultan took all his guts and took it out and stuck it in a computer. And that's how he sits. And I know another boy like this. And how many boys don't I know like this? And how many girls don't I know like this? You can't let this happen to you. So there's a famous story that I talk about all the time in the Kava Yasha, a very holy safer that Mamish saved my life, really saved my life. And I, I struggle with this. I can tell you that I'm a Rebbe and I'm Orinav and I'm all this stuff. 
and I go down the Garden State Parkway, and I'm on my way to Lakewood, and I'm at exit 91, and Atlantic City is exit 40, and I'm at exit 91, and I don't even know where it's coming from, and my adrenaline starts running. I'm like, I'm going to Lakewood to a bris. Leave me alone, Yitzhahara. I'm not, you know I'm not going to play cards. I'm done with this. It's over. There's no way. I'm Rabbi Wallerstein, Baruch Hashem. Like, even if I wanted to, there's no way that I'm going to go back to it. What are you bugging me for? And the Yitzhahara's like, no, nah, no. Nah. The stuff that you feel, that's old stuff. That's stuff that's still in you. It's like a snake. I'm learning a Gemara. The Gemara talks about, you're not allowed to leave your water uncovered. Because in the old days, snakes would spit into the water. And there would be poison, there would be venom. So there's all kinds of halachas with the water, you know, with, with the venom, whatever it is. So the Gemara talks about, well, what happens if you scoop off the top of the water? Can you drink the bottom of the water? Or wine? It seems to be that snakes love wine. Right? It's a whole different schmooze. It's an interesting Gemara. That if the, if the wine is cooked, it's mavushal, the snake won't spit into it. It doesn't, it doesn't like cooked wine. How does, how does a snake know if it's cooked or not? It's a snake. It's a stupid snake. We don't even know Yayim Mavushal. You, you taste a bottle of wine, one is Mavushal, one isn't, you don't know the difference. If the Gemara says a snake knows the difference, you know why? Because a snake was a partner. If you remember in Pashas Noach, a snake was a partner in the first vineyard and the first wine that Noach made, the Nachash was a partner. So the Nachash knows his wine very well. Anyway, the Gemara says no. If you scoop off the top, it's not enough. Because venom, right, spreads through all the water. Then the Gemara says, what happens if you find a watermelon... And there's, snake, there's a snake fangs on the bottom side of the watermelon. It means a snake bit into the watermelon. Can you cut that piece off, throw it out, and eat the rest of the watermelon? So any other animal that has no venom, a rat, or any other animal that would bite the bottom of the watermelon, halakhically just cut that piece off and you can eat the rest of the watermelon. If a snake bit the bottom of the watermelon, you can't eat any of the watermelon. Why, says the Gemara? Because the venom will seep through the whole watermelon, even to seep up. Venom has a power just to seep through a human body, through anything that that venom is put into, it seeps through, and therefore it could be in the top of the watermelon, you won't even see it. Therefore the Gemara says, to throw out the whole watermelon, the whole piece of bread. Whatever it is, wherever, you cannot cut off that piece and eat it. It's an interesting Gemara. Only by a snake's venom. And the terrace is, that's the nachash. The nachash bites you in your, in your heel, Right? The snake can bite you on the, on the bottom of your foot, on the bottom of your foot, and within two minutes, it's in your brain and you're dead. <coughs> Venom travels. It doesn't just destroy the aver. Actually, where it bites turns black, but it travels through your blood and it goes to your brain, and if it's a rattlesnake or a very poisonous snake, you got a couple of minutes, that's it. So that's the eight Sahara. Yeah, gambling. Once in a while, I'll go on Facebook, whatever, whatever. I'm not just talking about Facebook, wherever you go. Right? It's not a big deal. And the answer is no, it is. It stays in your system. It's 15 years. I'm driving to Lakewood to a bris. What is my adrenaline running from? Where am I going? I'm going to a bris. No, but it's in your system. And it takes a long time to get it out of your system and a lot of work. So what I'm telling everyone here is don't let it get into your system. Don't talk to that first boy. Don't text that first boy. Don't start with them. Because once it's in your system... Even if you stop and you're a good girl, you're always going to miss. But he was there for me. But he understood me. If you never talk to a boy, you're not missing talking to a boy. You talk to him once, it's in your system. That's what the Rambam saying. The Rambam says, so what do you do if you talk to do it over and over and over? He says, and I'll explain to you how, his answer. So there's a story in, in Perechofei and the Kaviyosh. I'll, I'll end with this. I saved my good stuff for Shabbos. <laughs> So everyone who's there, my good stuff's on Shabbos. But I'm not going to talk about gambling on Shabbos, that's for sure. So the Kaviyosha says a story like this. He says there was once a Mile, and he was a very, very... Mile is someone who does a bris milah, gives bris milahs. And he was very, 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 very stingy. He was so stingy, this guy. He was a billionaire. Houses of gold, silver, money, real estate, everything. He didn't give a penny to tzedakah. Not only that, Monday and Thursdays, he wouldn't go to shul. Because Monday and Thursday, the poor people would come. He wouldn't go to shul. But one thing he did, he had one mitzvah, which is also an anti-venom, which I'll tell you. He had one mitzvah that he kept that was his baby. And that was, he would do, he was a mile, he would do a bris milah, he would travel anywhere, do a bris milah for any kid for free. 
He would not give money. He would not help a guy who's starving right in front of him. Let him die. But a bris, he would do for free. One day, it's a knock on the door. This beautiful-looking guy standing by the door. And he says to him, to the moil, I hear that you're a moil and you do it for free. You circumcise children, you do it for free. I would like you, my, I just had a baby. I would like you to come and, and circumcise my child. He says, okay, let me get my brisket. Ha ha. And he gets his brisket. And I'm, I'm waiting. Hello. That took too long. Anyway, he gets his brisket and, and he gets onto the wagon. He gets onto the wagon and he goes with this guy. And they travel for three days. This is a Kavayosha, which is a very Kabbalistic book. And they travel for three days. And they come to a town in a valley, the most gorgeous houses you ever saw. So the guy who's driving the wagon, the father of the child, tells the male, go into the house. My wife is there with the child. Go into the house. And I am going to go put the horses. I'm going to tether them. I'm going to take care of them in the barn. So he goes into the house, the male. And the first thing the male has to do is look at the baby. Is the baby yellow? Is everything okay? So where's the baby? In the mother's room. So he walks into the mother's room, knocks on the door. She said, who's there? The male walks into the baby's room. He's looking at the baby. And the mother from her bed, this woman, says to him, I have to tell you something before my husband gets into the house. And she says, I am human. My husband is not human. It's a true story. A husband is a shindalad. It's a shade. A shindalad is a creature that was created between, on Friday, by sun, between sunset and sunrise. There were certain things that were created. These are called, they're called changelings. They are not friends of ours. They are the reason that everyone, if anyone was ever involved in building a house, fixing a house, so if you're fixing a house, you're not allowed to move a window. If you have a window and you close it up, you, with like car, you close up the window, not you close the window, but you close up the window, then terrible things will happen. When there's from diseases in a house and things start breaking and people are losing money, the first thing the rabbi says is, did you close a window? Did you close up a window? So if you close up a window... If you close up a window, you have to make a hole in the wi- a hole and put a straw in that because the Shindal, it says the Gemara, that where do they live? On, in the, they, they don't bother us. They live in the windows, in the sill of the window. And they don't bother human beings. But if you close up where they live, then you're forcing them into your house. And they're, they're not friends. If you force them into your house, it's not good. It doesn't matter whether you're Svartic, Hasidic, Litvish, modern, not modern. Every rabbi knows the first thing you ask is, did they close up a window? You're not allowed to close up a window in your house. If you open it, they have to ask a question. If you open another window, it has to do with also the gutters. My father, when he redid the house, not only didn't we close the window, but we, we extended the house. The gutter, because they live in the gutters also, he left the gutter in the middle of the living room, but he boxed it. So you couldn't tell. It looked like part of the living room. So you have to ask everybody, when, when you, when you, before you extend the house. So these shindalas, they're big troublemakers. The Gemara talks about them a lot. But as long as you don't bother them, they don't usually bother you. They steal. Okay. If you ever put something, you can't find it, and you never... So the one thing they can't change, the famous Gemara, with Ashmedai, who was a Shindalit, the one thing they can't change is their feet. The bottom of their feet are duck feet. So they can change and look like anybody in this room. In fact, I might be one. (laughs) The only way I can prove it to you is to take my shoes and socks off right now. You don't want me to do that. Okay. But, but seriously, so, so they do it, they, what? Maybe on Shabbos? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Anyway, so, no, seriously, so she tells, she tells the, she tells the male that my husband, who took you here, he's not human. He's a Shindalit, and I hate to tell you this, but this whole town, in this valley, everybody are Shindalits. If you want to make it out of here alive, you have to know a rule about the dark side. If the dark side gives you something and you take it and you benefit from it, they own you. As long as you get no hanav from them, you get nothing from them, they have no power on you. So no matter what he offers you, don't tell him I'm telling you this because then I'm dead. Whatever he offers you, just make an excuse, don't take this guy, Nebuch, this poor Moyle, he's white. Oh my gosh, I came to do a bris meal. I'm dealing with shindalids, right? Anybody, but, okay, he's, he's in trouble. So, in walks this guy. 
Shalom sit down. Let me give you something to eat. Moel says, I'll tell you the truth. The trip was very long. I'm not feeling very well. I'm very nauseous. I need to go to sleep. He says, no, but tonight's the Vachnach. They know the night before the bris. Tonight we're making a big party. He says, let me sleep because I'm not feeling well. Okay. He gets up the next morning. He does the bris. He, he comes to shul. He sees all these guys. He knows every one of them is a demon. They're not really human, but they look human. He does the bris. Sudas have bris. Now comes the party. It's a mitzvah. It's a bris. So they put him down at the table and they say, okay, Mayo, go wash your hands. Make a mozi. Mayo says, I'll tell you the truth. Last night, while I was sleeping, I had a very terrible dream. Really scary. I saw shade. No, he didn't say that. He said, it was very, very scary. And the law is, if you have a scary dream and it bothers you, the next day is a tanas chalom. You have to fast. He says, so I'm really sorry. I would love to eat, but I have, I'm, in a, I'm in a tanas chalom. So they're all looking at each other. Wow. You know, God must be protecting this guy. You know, that he wouldn't eat anything. Okay. Fine. He packs up. He's like, okay, bris is over. I got to go home. The guy says, no, no, no. You're not going home yet. And it's perichafei. Whoever wants to see this, the kavayasha, by the way, um, I was a little bit involved in it. It was translated into English. So you can go to a Jewish bookstore and you can buy the Kav Yasha and you'll see this story in chapter 25. This is where the story is brought down. We actually learn from the story that a, a child that's from a human mother and a non-human father, the child needs a bris halacha because the child's Jewish. We learn from this story. But anyway, it's separate, separate. So, he says, before you leave, I want to take you to a, 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 a building. I want to show you what I have in the building. He's figuring, oh my goodness, that's it. It's the end of me. So he takes him to this building, and there are three rooms. He says, let me show you the first room. Opens the first room. It's full of all the stolen gold from the bottom of the sea. All, that's what they take. All the stuff that went to the bottom of the sea. All the stolen stuff, that's what they have. And he looks at this room, the size of this room, and it's full of gold and silver. And the shade turns him and says, listen, you traveled all this way to do this brismila. You can uh, take anything you want. So he looks up at the shindal, and he says, I don't need anything. If you know anything about me... I'm a billionaire. I don't need your money. I'm not interested. He says, okay, let's go to the second room. Takes him to the second room, opens it up. Jewels, king's crowns, princesses, pearls, stuff he never... Mama, his eyes were bugging out. He says, come, take something. He goes, no, you don't understand. I don't need this. I am so rich. I don't need your money. So the Shindal says, okay, but there's something in the third room that I know you need. And he takes him to the third room and he opens the door and the moil stands there and he turns white like, like a piece of paper his knees begin to buckle he feels faint that room all the walls in the room were full of human heads just kidding <laughs> hi Montreal I'm sure you like that one The room, yeah, there is a funny side to me. The room, or maybe a dark side to me. The room was full, every single wall of keys. It's Kavayasha. Keys, keys, keys. And this Mayel is looking right across from him on the wall, hanging, are his keys. His keys to his safe, his keys to his house, his keys to his... his uh, CD box, his, his security box, his keys to everything he owns. And he turns to the Shindal, he says, where did you get my keys from? And the Shindal says, the only reason I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you is because it seems to be that God loves you because of the, the, the good deed that you do, that you do bris milos, because we've been trying to give you something. I am not a really a human being. I'm a Shindalid. And since you got it, we've been trying to give you something so that you would never leave here. And you didn't take anything. You got sick and you had dreams. It must be that God really loves you. We're not going to mess with someone that God really loves. So I'm going to tell you how I got your keys. He says, we have the power that when a human being continuously does something over and over and over and over and over, he loses his keys. And we take it. Because anything that a human being loses... That's how we live. That's what, that's what they live off. What we lose, that's what they live off. So, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do for you. Since you did the meal on my son, I'm going to give you back your keys. And the Moel said, no. no. And he said, no. I give you my word. 
that I'm giving you back your keys and it won't be considered like I'm giving you something because really they're yours and therefore you don't have to worry about it. And he takes his keys off the wall and he gives it back to the mile. And the mile goes back to his town. When he gets back to his town, he goes to the rabbi, he's shaken up totally. And he says to the rabbi, the first thing I want to do is I want to build a yeshiva. And I also want to build a shul. And I also want to build a bicker cholim, a hospital. And I also want to build a place for Jews to go eat. And he took out all his money and he used it to give tzedakah. And everybody in the town was like, this was, you know, mayor the miser. Like, how could it be that he's doing all this? And he got up in shul and he said, I want to tell you all a story. And he told them this story. And he got back his keys. And once he got back his keys, keys are an example, a representation of choice. It doesn't mean physical keys. It means spiritual keys. The keys, the ability to make a choice. So the question is, ladies and girls, what do we do if we lost our keys? We're not in a Shindalad's warehouse to get back our keys. How do we get back our keys? How do you get back your choice? So many of us have lost our choice because we've done something over and over and over and even though we want to change and we want to be helpful and we want to do kibbutz and we want to talk to our mothers nicely, we can't. Even when she's nice to us, we're nasty to her. We can't be nice to her. Even when she's nice to us. You're nasty. Why are you nasty? And your mom looks at you and says, why are you nasty? I just told you I'm taking you to, to, to Florida. Who did you take me to Florida? I want to go with my friends. Where is that coming from? The answer is, you lost your keys in Kivit of Aim. You can't even do Kivit of Aim anymore because so many times, over and over and over, you didn't respect them, you didn't listen to them. Now when you want to listen to them, you can't. That's just Kivit of Aim. In all different aspects of life. So many of us have lost our keys. How do you get it back? Says the Rambam. This is the Rambam. This is what the Rambam is talking about by Paro. He lost his keys. He threw them out of a him and ran after them. It's like you took your drugs, you threw it in the toilet, and then you put your hand in the toilet and took them out. You threw them in the toilet already. How do you get your keys back? So, we're going to a hotel for Shabbos. Mitz Hashem. Maybe Mashiach will come, and Mitz Hashem will go to the big hotel, Yushalayim. Rezrat Hashem. I have to return everybody's money? All right, no problem. How do you get your keys back? So the Rambam says, you're going to go to the hotel, and you lost your key. You lost your key. How do I get back in my room? You go down to the manager. And I'm not talking about today. Today they have computer keys, so you just mix another one. In the old days, you had a key, a hard key. You couldn't make another one. They, didn't, they, weren't, they weren't locksmiths in the, in the hotel. So what happened when you lost your key? Interesting key. There is a key that the manager has called the master key. And I've, as a kid, since I'm growing up, I've always, I'm trying to figure out how they do this. That one key opens every door in the hotel. How can one key open every lock? Every lock is different. But that's the way it's made. That one key, it's called a master key. The, the, the owner, the manager of the hotel has it. He can open up any room on any floor at any time. The funny part, after telling you this story, especially with the heads on the walls, is that when I was growing up, it wasn't called the master key. Anyone here know what it was called? Skeleton key. That's right. Skeleton key. You hot? Skeleton key. It fits into every single lock. So to wait, the way to get your keys back is to open your heart and open your sitter and open your mouth and ask the manager of this hotel, of this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to give you back, the, to give you the master key. HaKadosh Baruch Hu holds the key to every person's heart and every person's neshama and every person's ability to do tshuva. If you lost your key, you can't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. And even if you didn't lose your key, you can't do it yourself. 
but truly if they have your key. You don't need your key back. You need the master, the manager, to use his key to open back your heart and open back your choice and give you back your choice. It's very interesting. You know, AA, the people go to AA and GA and NA, all the A's. Hey, when I was in school, I had a badge, AAA, AAA. I was a monitor. And I was very excited. But all these A's, what do they teach? So it's called the 12 Steps. What's the basis of the 12 Steps? The basis of the 12 Steps, they don't call them Ar Hashem, but they call them the Supreme Being. The basics of AA or all GA is, is religion, is belief in God, is connecting to God, and through God getting the strength to overcome your addiction. They're copycats. AA is 100 years old. The Kavayasha is 350 years old. And the Rambam is older than that. If you need your key, what you need to do is to dive into HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the master key. May we all be Zaycha that he uses that key to open the door to the third base HaMikdash. Amen. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.